Hey everyone, this is Andrew in post-editing. I just want to let you all know that Sean and I have been wandering the kingdom aimlessly for about 10 years now uh, because the door has been locked to mortal eyes and we can't see it, so if we sound a little distant in this episode, that's why. Now back to the show. This is the Board Dads Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Oborn. I'm also your host, none the lesser, Sean Oborn. Sean Oborn is the hostess with the mostest. Just the host with the most. The host with the most. The host with the most, and he likes to boast, while eating toast and pork roast. Anyway, today we are speaking about the 1990-1992 wonderfully amazing smash hit, Key to the Kingdom, by Waddington's Games. Across the pond... It's actually released in the U.S. I think by Golden. Uh, Same people do little Golden books. Yes. Which so if you're a fan will. of the Pokey Little Puppy, you'll love this game. And the artwork actually is probably really similar, to be honest. No, with it's you. not at all. It's <laughs> I don't know what the Pokey Little Puppy is. Full of it. Okay. So yeah, we said we're talking about Key of the Kingdom today. You know, I'm just going to go with a thirty thousand foot view here. So I'm just going to go ahead and back on up. But uh, overall, I thought it was a decent game for its time and for its audience, I guess I'll say. It is for two to six players, ages eight and up. It's on its box, ages eight and up. Um, I don't think it's supposed to be babysitting uh, Princess Drew. Princess Drew or any other so, princesses yeah. for that matter. But, but anyways, uh, ages eight and up. I don't know if I'd call it a dungeon crawler per se, but... Uh, it does have some dungeon crawler slash RPG elements to it. Like it's trying to be an RPG, but it's still just a roll and move game. Yep, roll and move game. Now, the purpose of the game is you're playing as a warrior, adventurer. adventurer person, and you're venturing out into this legendary kingdom to gain treasure, and also to gain the key to the kingdom, and you basically will run around the board rolling dice. You're trying to find the key to the kingdom. Try to we don't know where it is. We don't know where it is. And um, you're, go, you're moving around the board, and as you move around the board, the board has a something to change. Um, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but the purpose is to obtain two of these treasure cards and make it back to the entrance to the kingdom. The starting point. The starting point, and hopefully shut everyone else in the kingdom forever, but they have a chance to escape. So that's the basic premise of the game. Basically, the way this works is, is that you it comes with one D8. That's an eight-sided die. Um, and so what you do is... You, it's shaped like a rhombus. It is. It's green. Um, so you roll the die, and before you roll, there's one miniature that I'm holding right now that's bigger than all the rest. This guy that looks like the... What's it called? The Witch King of Agmar? Kind of yeah, looks like yeah him. he does. Um, so you roll the die, and whatever number you roll, there's a numbered space of 1 through 8 somewhere randomly on the board. And so let's say if I go first and I roll a 2, well, before I get to move two spaces, my character two spaces, I first take the Demon King miniature and move him to the space of the number 2 on it first. 
and then I get to move two spaces. Yes. Now, as the game progresses, if the Demon King lands on you or one space away from you, then he jacks you up. He basically screws you over. Kinda, you get set to, sent to the dungeon of that world. Um, and we'll talk about the world or the, the map and board in a minute. But um, you know what I was thinking? Um, you know, the Witch King Bagmar, he says that no man can kill him. And in this game, no man can kill him. And uh, That's true, because he keeps going. He can't, he, do he, he can't do anything about him, and all the pawns are men. So that explains That would explain why, yeah, so it checks out for sure. It checks out. And um, Tolkien Empire. It's, and it's definitely what we see in the literature. It was sponsored by uh, J.R.R. himself. Uh, he, uh, the Tolkien Empire, here we are again. Yeah, here we are. Uh, anyway, um, but as Sean said, um, so the, that that's a random... Danger that's constantly going around the board, and he'll block your path. Now, this is a roll and move game. However, you have the ability to backtrack your steps or move other directions if you wish. Um, the only caveat to that is you can't go one direction and then turn around and go the opposite direction in one turn. Before moving, you can choose which direction you want to go, and then you have to complete your turn moving that direction. But if next turn you want to go back the way you came, you can do that. Now, it should be noted that on this one, like we said, the, the whole goal of this game is there are, what is it, two, six. four, six total treasure cards that are all blind. You can't see what they are. They're all in a, a marked envelope. They're on marked envelopes. And um, uh, the, it's marked, we should say, that, that seems redundant. They're blind, but they're marked. They're marked by the name. They're in, they're in sleeves that are, that are um, organized according to the, the, I guess, the world that they're in and the... the, the, the Location, I guess. The, I don't want to say the dungeon tower, because the dungeons castle, are yeah. And so each one, there's there's the crown of glory, the ring of power, the chalice, the rune sword, and then the key to the kingdom, and then one is a cobra card, cobra commander, cobra commander. Now cobra there's commander a cobra, is a cobra kai card. Yes, and um, so basically, the way this works is that as you're rolling around, your whole goal is to get the key to the kingdom. There's only one. And remember, you don't know what you're getting when you get these treasure cards. So you get the key to the kingdom, and then you have to get one other treasure card that's not the cobra, and then make it back to the starving point, and you win. That's the goal. Yes, that is. And it's, it's it's a free for all. There's no teaming up or anything. But as you move around, there are a total of six, I guess, locations on here that you can move to that have names like you know the Banshee Tower and you know the Ice Tower, the Demon Castle. It's the ice palace. The ice palace. Please, that's where Elsa lives. The ice palace. Yes. Um, we just let it go. Susan. I, sorry. Okay. Um, anyway, so when you move there, then you draw a card from a deck that sits over the side of the board. It's the monster deck, and basically you draw that, and it's a random encounter that usually you have to do something to win. Like you know, you roll three die if you get a total more than nineteen, and the other guy has to do the same thing or something of that yeah. nature. And basically, if you win whatever that encounter is, then you get the treasure treasure card card associated with that area you're in but again because it's in a little sleeve you don't actually know what you're getting until you get it open it up and it could be the key to the kingdom could be a random treasure could be the cobra and you you won't really know until after you get it what kind of an idiot adventurer just picks up he, he beats the boss Hey, there's something here. Open the treasure chest. Oh, it's a cobra. Well, dang it. Now I'm stuck no, with this No, he doesn't thing. even open it. He just, I'm going to take that right there and, yeah, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> anyway. We don't make the rules. We don't make the rules. We just played them. Any hoozles. So we mentioned, Sean mentioned at the outset that it has some kind of uh, RPG, RPG elements to it. And that's because when you play, you start with a, a bunch of equipment. It looks like there's about eight of them or so. Nine. Nine. And uh, the things like a rope, net, fire, sword, axe, grappling hook, shield, food, stuff like that. And you get these cards, and um, as you're playing through the board, and when you go into to fight the monsters, 
these items will come into play to help you beat the challenges. Uh, for example, I might say, um, you know, if you've got fire and an axe, then you automatically win this challenge without, without any issue. Uh, but if you're missing one, then you've got to do it a different way, or you can't even compete at all. Yeah, or you fall in like a snake pit, and if you have the grappling hook and you won't even number, then you escape and you're fine. But if you lose, then you lose your grappling hook and you basically throw it away. So other than that, they have no other purpose um, other than to help you help you in encounters, or if you meet some kind of a hazard, um, then that's when you can use your items to kind of help you get out most of the time. Yep. Now, hazards are found more than just on these monster cars, and keep on calling them dungeons because that's what they call them in Zelda, but, yeah. but they're basically like a fortress, I guess. And as you move through the board, like Sean said, it's a roll movement, so it's, it's, there's these little tile pieces that you move on, but you move and um, you come across dangers that are in the world, and you always have to uh, beat these dangers and accomplish what you're trying to do, get across the bridge or, you know, jump over the boar pit or, you know, cross the swamp or whatever. And each challenge or each um, hazard, I guess is what it's called, has its own stipulations for how it's how it's accomplished. Now, the book does come with, um, of course, the, the game does come with the, the adventure instructions, but it also comes with a supplementary uh, manual called the Hazard Handbook. And in there, somebody's who I guess we're, we'll call the the meta the mock DM. It's the DMs. <laughs> DM, yeah. He's not quite the DM, DM guy. But yeah, but basically, the DMG. Basically, if Sean rolls up to um, you know the spider's web or the sleeping giant, then you flip to that page and it tells you how to yeah. get over that or what happens to you if you don't make it. Yeah, I mean, for for example, I mean one uh, one that Sean just could not beat on this one. Um, there's one called the Broken Bridge, and it's all part of the artwork, all on the moving track, so you move to it. There's a little white arrow on either side of these uh, challenges or these hazards. That's when you stop your movement regardless of if you have extra spaces, and then you resolve the hazard as per this book. Uh, challenge that shows up. So we don't want to get too much in the weeds there, but the, what makes this game unique is it's a it's a square board, and it's not it's, it's a regular-sized board game, but... In the middle of the board, there's this little like vortex in the water with an actual plastic ring around it that it kind of has a little vortex kind of shape around. It's I called guess. the whirlpool. Whirlpool, excuse me. But when you when when any character lands in that whirlpool, then you literally open the board, that one side of the board, it like fold it out, so it makes the board larger, expanding it to a whole other quote unquote world, and then you play in that world. And then what happens is anyone other than the Demon King that happens to be on the side that just got flipped is... Well, they're not quite hosed. They have three rolls to try and escape that world because they're going to be... Um, Smashed by the world? Well, they're, they're, if it's going out, they're pushed off of the world and, I guess, ejected into outer space. I guess. Um, if they're in the world and the board is folding inwards and they're crushed by the world. Uh, so they have three rules to try and Sounds escape. Horrible. It is horrible. They have three rules to try and escape and either get to A, the other side of the board that's not affected by the fold, or B, onto the vortex with the person who triggered it, with the other person on the other side of the board to, to get safe. Now, everyone will have the, the three, like I said, the three rules to do that. If that doesn't happen, then you basically will essentially lose your turn, your placed next to the vortex and you have to roll a specific die roll and you 
basically come back onto the vortex and you continue on as usual. The thing that makes this cool though is that you can moving flipping the board back and forth is kind of interchangeable. It can happen several times during a game, so it's not like once you open it you can't close it again, and once you close it can't open it again. You can literally do it an infinite number of times, and it will definitely happen most of the time because of the like six or seven treasure cards you have to get, some of them are on the open side of the board, some are on the closed side of the board. Yeah, well, um, there's, to, to be fair, there's, I think, I believe, two on the outside, so there's one in each world. There's two treasure cards on, you know, when the board's all folded up, and then when you unfold it, there's four more found there. And, uh, again, in order for you to, unless you get really, really lucky somehow, you'll have to visit these other worlds in order to accomplish the goal of the game and, and to win and become the supreme custodian of the kingdom, as the rulebook says. And what, what happens to those that don't make it back in time, even even the other adventurers? Well, the other adventurers... Now, the Demon you get, King... You go to the Bog of Eternal Stench? No, no, what no. Is no. It? Um, I feel like that's from something. Right there. Do we have Jim Henson now? Yes, we do. Okay, cool. Rest in peace, Jim. Uh, my boy, Jimmy. Okay, so I'm just going to read this straight from the... The book because it, it, it does it justice better than I will. Uh, but it says, winning the game, the victorious adventurer. The first adventurer to reach the start area carrying the key and one other treasure is declared supreme custodian of the key and wins the game. The other adventurers now have six throws each in which to flee the kingdom to safety. If they fail, the supreme custodian, who's a total jerk by the way, will lock the door the magic entrance will become invisible to all mortal eyes, and anyone still inside will be left to wander the kingdom forever. That's a total, like, jerky move. Yeah, well, if this is like a campaign type thing, then what do you do the next game? There like, is you no show, next battle. You, you show up, and they're like, oh, this guy's been here for 20 years. Hey, man, well... There is no next battle. <laughs> now you're second chance. It's like Jumanji. Robert Williams so. pops I, out. I guess like, so. hey, <laughs> what year is it? Yeah. That's basically the game, though. So we played it a couple times. I think the first time we played, we played with our father... Shout out, Ed. What's up, bro? See you. Love you, bro. Love you, bro. Um, and it, it went a lot slower, uh, partially Dad's fault, but partially because we had a third player. We just played again just now, just Andrew and I, and it was definitely a lot faster. Number one, because we kind of knew the rules, we knew what to do, um, but also because we didn't have to mess around with, okay, well, what direction do I want to go? I got to, you know, do I want to steal something from this guy or whatever? We kind of just were able to blow through a little bit quicker. Yeah. I will say this though that the the turn play. Um, goes pretty quickly between characters, between I'm sorry, between uh, players. But one thing that I thought was kind of cool is that the fact that every time you roll before you move your character, your actual miniature, you move the Demon King first. And so if you kind of want to give like the other person you're playing with, other people you're playing with, like a job, it can be it can be whoever if you're playing a two-player game, for example, whoever's turn it it's not can kind of move the Demon King and. That way you can kind of take yeah, turns. It, it speeds them, up a little yeah, bit. It speeds up a little bit. gives them something to do while you're okay. doing your turn. Overall, I thought that the game was good. Um, I enjoyed it. I it, it, it does play up to six, and I think that, I don't know, it, I think it could be pretty cumbersome because, like Sean mentioned, uh, if you have a, you know one treasure card and you need another one, or you have the key to the kingdom and, and you need another treasure card to win, um, and all the uh, keeps off of the fortresses, I guess, have been visited and obtained those treasure cards, the only other way to get them is there's two ways. The first way is uh, you can land on the space with another player, and you have the chance to steal from them. And you do that just by doing it. By um, saying that you're doing it. You're saying that you're doing it, yeah. 
and you can steal from them. You get to steal a random treasure card, so you just take one. And again, Sean said that they're sleeved. You just take the sleeve, and, and then you can run away. Um, that's one way. The if other you way, choose not to steal it, then it's literally called a friendly meeting, so you just high-five each other and yeah. hang out, I guess. High-five each other and eat some mutton. Now, that's one way. The other way is from a dude who's in the top corner of the board who looks like Merlin with um, the hat that Mickey Mouse wears from Fantasia. He's probably the most stereotypical wizard to ever exist. He's got, he's got like the pointy hat with, with, like, stars with the stars and it. moons on it and the blue robe with the long beard. Yeah, and he's on the cover of the box like, I don't know. You show up pass. Yeah, I don't know. He's got his hands raised and he's, he's not doing good, but... So, the Wizard of Plenty, if you go to visit him... Is that his name? The Wizard of Plenty. I guess. Um, if you go to visit him, and again, there's going to be hazards that you'll have to pass in order to accomplish that and get to him. And when you get to him, he'll, you'll have to basically prove your metal, accomplish a task that he puts forth to you, which we're not going to get into. But anyway... You can only go once per game. You can only, you only do this once per game, but there are different hazards on the map where you'll lose equipment and or treasure cards. And they basically just go into a pile of lost stuff, lost equipment. And the Wizard of Plenty... it's actually an island of lost toys. toys. Lost toys. That too. Misfit toys. There misfit equipment. Island of misfit equipment and treasure cards. There you go. I'm uh, pretty sure that's in the rulebook, I think. Nailed it. If it's not, it's in the addendum. Nailed it. It's in the literature. Yeah, in the addendum. Anyway, the Wizard of Plenty will allow you to take up to three cards, including treasure cards, from this lost deck. And so that's the only other way, besides landing on a character, the Wizard of Plenty is the only other way that will allow you to get one of these cards, one of these treasure cards, should they all be taken from the fortresses, keeps, dungeons, whatever they're called. Uh, now that we've bored everyone with the, with the rules and the gameplay, bro, what were your thoughts on this game? Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's important that you keep the game moving because it can get stale. Like I, this I, podcast. That's true. <laughs> like this podcast and like, like my humor as well. However... I do think that with a little bit of fixing, this game does have some really redeemable qualities. With the right co-host, if you'll continue the, uh, sorry, is there something you're trying to say? No. <laughs> okay, should I follow? If you follow the example, I'm just teasing. Okay, so but if if I think with a few modifications here, it's got I think it's got the skeleton of a good game for sure. And uh, of its time frame, I think it would would have been just fine there in the early '90s. But again, I I think that it is a little outdated. The artwork definitely needs some love, especially on the monsters. They're pretty good. The monsters look, yeah, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty low budget artwork. Um, the the other stuff like the artwork for the um, the treasure card, as well as for the equipment cards we talked about, are pretty standard fare for like late '80s, early '90s, like fantasy art. So that's yeah, kind of cool. Definitely passable. Yeah, it works. But the monster, the monster cards, like little artwork for them, is pretty. Uh, Pretty weird. Yeah, but overall, I mean, I've played it a few times here. I, I'd play it again. It's probably not one that I'm itching to get to the table as often as possible. But uh, if someone said, hey, you know, let's grab Key of the Kingdom, sure, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll roll a die, I'll play. I think it would be good for kids, too. You could play There's, there's very little reading with the parents there to kind of help them that that would work. I will say that some of the uh, hazards you have to go across, like some of the bridges and the boats you have to cross, seem abnormally hard for a game of this type. So you'll have to get, like, you get three rolls, and you have to roll two eights and three rolls, or something like that, to get across this bridge. I'm like, dude, I... I no, that's pretty steep. The, the one that he's referring to is you two, eights, roll, and six rolls. two eights and six rolls. I know. And I tried going across that stupid bridge like three times. I'm not bitter. Just saying. Uh, it he's seemed like it was stale. It seemed like statistically it was harder than it should have been. And that was, the, that was the one downside of this game, is that sometimes you can kind of get stuck in one area of the map, 
and you have to cross one bridge or this other bridge, and both of them are just kind of hard to pass, so it can very well be luck of the draw, or I guess luck of the, luck of the roll. That's true, but generally speaking, there is more than one way to get there from here. What are your thoughts, bro? I liked it, uh, to be honest with you. Same kind of thing. You know, I've, I've played it two or three times now. You know, I might play it another one or two times, you know, if someone were down to play it, but again, it's not a game I'm itching to play. I do like, I mean, I'm a sucker for, for, you know, the lore and the fantasy elements of the game, so I do kind of like that. Like you said, it kind of has the bare bones of a, of a cool, um, fantasy game, you know, RPG-ish type game, um, but it's, it's fairly simple, um, as far as, it's a roll and move game, and the items you have pretty much don't do anything at all. It's not like you have a net, you can, you know, capture, capture something, for yeah. or if you have a grappling hook, you can go up a mountain, or if you have a sword, it gives you an additional roll in a battle. It doesn't do any of that. It's literally just random. Like, oh, you encountered the goblin. I have the grappling hook and the torch, so therefore, if I roll an even number, I win this encounter and I get the treasure. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's random, random, but the, the equipment, I guess, its, it's main purpose there is it allows you a chance to be able to win those encounters or battles or whatever. I would say if you want to make the game harder, you try and say something like, okay, you have to get the key to the kingdom and one other treasure card and escape without losing any of your equipment, that'd be difficult. Because I don't think we've ever got a single game without someone losing, or at least one of us losing yeah. an equipment. It happens so so frequently. It does. But other than that, though, I thought it was good. But yeah, that's Key of the Kingdom. Will you knock it out? Any, any last thoughts, bro? Uh, last thoughts? Uh, you know, I would say if you found this game at a thrift store and it wasn't overly priced, you know, maybe 20 bucks or lower, I'd say pick it up. I mean, it's, it's, it's not great, but it's not bad. But it seems to have a little bit of nostalgia factor, and it, you know, if you're a golden book, little golden book completionist, you're gonna need this. You'll need this to complete your collection. Yeah. Little golden books is actually a board game. Is there? A, if you're a little golden book completionist, I want you to email us at boarddads@gmail.com. I want to meet you. I want to talk about that for a minute. Yeah. But that's a different podcast for a different time. Yeah, I think uh, Golden actually kind of made them. I think they actually went under, or they were purchased by Hasbro. If I'm not mistaken. Like several years ago. Maybe perhaps the gaming side, because they still print the little golden books. Yeah, but the gaming side was purchased by Hasbro several years ago. Um, I've contacted Hasbro about this. They don't get back to me. So if anyone at Hasbro is listening, email uh, us at this Mr. Hasbro. Boardads at gmail.com. Yeah. Other than that, anything else you want to include, bro? Uh, other than that, um, we do want to thank uh, Crash Bomb the Band for our intro and outro music. Check them out. On YouTube, Crash Bomb the Band, or they have a website, yeah. School Crash Bomb the Band. Buy their CD. They've got some pretty cool uh, T-shirts and like, some sweatshirts they might still have around once they've sold out. Also some stickers and stuff. So swag. Check them out. Swag. Bay, Bay Area's finest. Um, so Bay Area's finest Nintendo core. And and for for what it's worth, uh, when they record songs, they actually do use an original NES Nintendo system uh, to record the uh, sounds in their actual. Music, so they're too legit to play. Pretty, pretty cool. So, um, so shout out to them. So thank you, Crash Bomb the Band, for that. Uh, you can find us on any of the social medias at Board Dads across the board: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yep. Or email us at boarddads at gmail dot com. If you'd like to reach out to us for any reason, you want to contribute in some way, or you have a game you'd like us to to review, or if you've modded a game we've talked about in some way, we'd love to hear about it. Maybe we'll feature you on the podcast if you're lucky. If you're lucky, punk. Or if you just think we should shut up, that's yes. also acceptable too. We also have a BGG guild at uh, boarddmg.com, so you can go there and check that out, and we'll be posting some sweet 
stuff there later on as well. Still working on that micro badge though. Still working on micro badge because our artwork is subpar at best. Yeah, I can barely write my name. It's true. And in cursive, no less. In Hoozle. Well, uh, special thanks to Mountain Dew for Mountain Dew Baja Blast for coming back around again yeah. in the summer. Uh, actually, they actually I believe that we. Uh, the folks in Mountain Dew and us coincide our release dates approximately in the same time frame, mm-hmm. within the same week, I think. So, yeah. So thank you, Mountain Dew, uh, for just existing. Yep. Other and than that, guys, thank you for listening, and stay bored. Stay bored.